Welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It is Wednesday, November the 2nd, and you know what that means. Everybody Wednesday today here on this Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. And boy, do we have some great resources for you to win. Dr. O.S. Hawkins joins us in the second half hour to talk about his brand new book, The Prayer Code. And right now, uh, a book that is so timely for parents, for grandparents, for pastors, for youth workers, especially as it pertains to what's happening in the culture right now. Dr. Jessica Peck has written a book called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. We have a link for the book at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have five copies of this book to give away here on this Everyone Wednesday. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. The world of the teenager has changed dramatically since that term was first coined by, was it popular science back in the 1940s? How can parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues? Well, that is our topic of conversation for the next half hour here on The Bottom Line Show. Uh, Dr. Jessica Peck is going to join me for a conversation about her new book called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. Uh, Dr. Jessica Peck, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much for having me, Roger. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I too. Jessica Peck has been a pediatric nurse practitioner for nearly 20 years. She has a Doctor of Nursing, Pract- nursing Practice degree, which makes her the nurse practitioner, and is also an advanced practice registered nurse as well, clinical professor at Baylor University's Louise Harrington School of Nursing, as well as president of the National Association of Pediatric Nurse Practitioners. But maybe more importantly, your husband's a rocket scientist. Did I read that correctly? <laughs> You're right, and everywhere I go, that's what they say. You do all of these things, but he's a rocket scientist, and yes, he is amused at the perception that I am the smart one in the relationship. Yes, that's very, that's very clever. Well, you know, Baylor and you're close to NASA and everything, I'm not surprised. Hey, let's talk that's about right. this. I mean, this the, the idea that I think there's a myth in the culture right now. I mean, one thing that is not a myth is I think parents have begun to realize when we were growing up, or I should say when I was growing up, because I was born in 1961, our parents could pretty much keep tra- track of where we were, what we were doing, and how the culture was influencing us. And then television, then the Internet, then instant messaging, all that type of stuff started to happen 20 or so years ago. And now it's pretty safe to assume that most parents just pray like crazy and hope things turn out okay for their kids. I mean, I don't want to say they're throwing away responsibility, but they are you know, kind of taking this, I hope it works out, kind of a Hail Mary parenting. Talk about where you started with this, because you've been studying these things for many, many years, and you've come to some rather startling conclusions, not the least of which is that kids actually do want to be able to talk to their parents and grandparents about the stuff they're going through. They absolutely do. And you know where I started? People can look at my credentials and think I have it all together, but I didn't start off that way for sure. You know, I started off as a girl with broken family relationships and estranged from my parents and so didn't have that guidance myself and parenting teens. And, you know, started off even as a nurse in a community college who barely passed because I was working three jobs to support my way going through school. But I did become a pediatric nurse practitioner, and when my daughter was 13, uh, I, the opening scene of this book is us driving in a car, having some perpetual conflict. She's sitting in the back seat, and she throws a book at my head. It was four ah. volumes, so oh it was gosh. commitment. Like, this was not just something in passing, and she chunked right. it right at my head, and I felt like a fraud and a phony in that moment. And I pulled over to the side of the road, and I did what I'd learned to do as a mom that was most important, and I prayed. I just said, 
God, this is beyond me. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I recognized I was going to need a new mindset and a new skill set going forward Mm -hmm. to prevent generational trauma and to face the things that were ahead that I simply didn't face as a teen myself. We didn't encounter social media, sexting, vaping, cyberbullying, all of these things that are very real realities for kids today that are creating a perfect storm of external cultural influence, ineffective coping mechanisms, and disconnection from real relationship building. So that's what led me to write the book. As a professor, I'm alarmed about the research emerging and the statistics for kids today, which are very reflective of what I'm seeing as a pediatric nurse practitioner in clinical practice, knowing that life is not perfect and meeting families behind closed doors at a point of crisis they never saw coming. And then as a parent, seeing my own kids at home struggling and my own struggles to keep up in this cultural current. And so that led me to write Behind Closed Doors to Engage, Equip, and Empower Parents. I love that, Dr. Jessica Peck, my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. And I might add that subtitle. Uh, This is a great resource for grandparents as well. Talk for just a moment about what a nurse practitioner does, Jessica, because you you write about in the book, you're you're counseling kids who are dealing with mental illness. You know, I mean, you've had to deal with kids who are involved in self-injury. I mean, you're you're seeing a lot more of that type of uh, behavior than maybe your predecessors did in generations gone by. Talk about how what your role is in the medical process and then what you've seen and how you're dealing with it. Sure. So a nurse practitioner is a registered nurse with advanced training, either a master's or a doctoral degree, who is able to diagnose and treat patients. But importantly, as a nurse practitioner, we take a very holistic view of health. We recognize that your health just does not encompass the single plane of your physical health, but your mental health, your social health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, relational health, all of those things impact us as a holistic person. And so we care about all of those factors that are involved. Now, I've been in pediatric nursing for 25 years, and I look back and I do not even recognize nursing today and pediatrics today compared to where I started. Even, I think, in the first 15, maybe 20 years of pediatric nursing, I mainly took care of chicken pox and strep throat. And now, on a daily basis, I take care of kids who are having mental health crises, who are self-harming, who are suicidal, who are sexting, who are uh, having coming to me with a crisis. Now, no one ever walks in my clinic door and says, my kid isn't sleeping very well and isn't eating. I think maybe they're having depression because they're sexting. Right. Like, it never happens like that. They say, I want you to make sure they don't have the flu or mono or something like that. But for me as a healthcare provider, uh, we have the tools and resources to help connect parents and kids and to see those early warning signs which most of the time parents have seen, but they just don't really know what to do with. When our kids are little and we think they may have an ear infection, we call right away and say, I just want you to check their ears and make sure it's okay. But there's a stigma that's associated with mental health. And when we see symptoms like not eating, not sleeping, increased fatigue or irritability, we tend to just kind of wait it out and see what's going to happen. Maybe we do some Google searching, maybe we try a different diet or a dietary supplement, have an argument with our family about how we should handle it. 
by the time they come in, it's usually been going on for quite a while. And the message that I want to give to parents is that we are equipped to help you with early intervention. And because teen brains aren't fully developed until their mid-20s, if we can intervene early, especially for issues of mental health, we can intervene before great harm is done, and we can actually rewire the brain to cope in a more healthy way uh, rather than waiting until the adult brain is there and then that those habits are just much more difficult to break. You know, it's amazing as we're listening to Dr. Jessica Peck today here on The Bottom Line talk about what she's written about in her brand new book called Behind Closed Doors, A Guide to Help Parents and Teens Navigate Life Through Life's Toughest Issues. One of the things that you may be resonating with is the fact that she's discussing and describing a culture and the impact that the culture is having on kids. I mean, these are kids who are coming from all different walks of life, some of them coming from Christian homes, some of them coming from unbelieving homes. But the, the constant barrage of things like social media or cyberbullying or whatever, the, the pressures the kids are facing uh, as to whether or not to take their own life. And let's not forget, too, there are still some other cultural influences, like you mentioned divorce, uh, Jessica, that, uh, that really are um, they're really wearing away at kids. One of the things you write about, especially in that chapter that I really found uh, engaging, was you talked about resilience and ways that rather than just kind of saying, poor kid, they got hurt. They're being impacted. Let's try to kind of keep them comfortable or, you know, help to manage it. You talk about raising resilient kids during these crises. Talk about what you mean by that. Sure. So, yes, I do talk about that in my in the chapter about divorce. But what we see is that kids all over are experiencing all kinds of crises. And we know that the greatest predictor of resilience for kids to be able to overcome trauma in a healthy way and for it not to become toxic stress is for them to have a meaningful connection to an adult in their life. And doing that is so, so, so important. So I talk in the book about um, some different strategies for resilience. Dr. Kenneth Ginsberg is a pediatrician who is very well known in the area of resilience, and he talks about the seven C's of resilience, which include things like confidence and competence and how we can have specific strategies. So here's a specific example. Uh, you should think about the teenager in your life. Who is that teen in your life, either your parent or grandparent or a coach? And can you name their greatest strength? Can you name it right off of the top of their head and say, this is what they're really good at? For example, my oldest daughter is really gifted at hospitality. She knows how to make people feel welcome if they are displaced or if they are having uh, any sort of trouble or crisis. She knows how to create an environment where they feel welcomed and where they feel invited in. And so we know that if we have a situation where we need that, we can say, oh, she's really good at that. Let's have her help. And if you can't name that strength in 15 seconds or less, then your kids can't name that either. And contrary to popular belief, you alluded to this, teens really do listen to what we have to say. Their minds are like a police scanner that is just kind of going off in the background, and they're intentionally listening for things we specifically say about them. But most importantly, they believe what we say. And sometimes as parents, when we're dealing with a specific behavioral struggle, we generalize that into a character issue. And we just can't do that as parents. 
So, for example, if a kid is having trouble turning in their homework or they're not on time, we say, why are you always so lazy? Why are you so irresponsible? Why are you always? Why are you never? And then we find ourselves generalizing that behavior, and they start to believe that about their character, rather than saying, you're a great kid who's struggling with being on time. What can I do to help support you in overcoming this challenge that you're facing? And that's a lot of what we do with resilience and making sure that kids are tough and that they can you know, respond to things that are uh, the, the challenges that are going to face them in life. We can't protect them for, from everything, but we can right. equip them to face those challenges. Boy, that's great counsel from Dr. Jessica Peck today here on The Bottom Line, nurse practitioner, health expert when it comes to pediatric uh, crises health. And uh, not by choice. That's kind of what's happening in her practice right now. Right. Behind Closed Doors Behind Closed Doors is the new book. It's a guide to help parents and grandparents, as well as teens, navigate through life's toughest issues. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll talk about a couple of the big ones, uh, specifically the gender identity thing that's becoming so prevalent among teens. And also, how do you talk to kids about social justice issues, things that maybe our generation didn't do a great job of dealing with, but they have questions and concerns about, and it's really affecting their mental health. We'll talk more about that with Jessica Peck in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Want to continue receiving income into retirement with little market risk? Dennis Wilson and Wilson Financial Services can help you secure a permanent income and benefits addressing your risk tolerance with professional advisory knowledge. You have a large 401k or IRA as your retirement nest egg. How about a four-dimensional plan that will pay you and your spouse income for life without stock market risk? How about we include inflation benefits so your income goes up annually? How about we include extra income benefits for long-term care? And if you need one or both, you both have it. That's right, permanent income inflation benefits, long-term care benefits with no market risk. We have put over $50 million of our clients' money in the 4D account in the last few years. These clients are sleeping way better at night. Learn more when you call Wilson Financial today at 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Dr. Jessica Peck is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. She's a nurse practitioner specializing in pediatric medicine. Uh, she's the author of a brand new book called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, at the start of our conversation, Jessica, you mentioned uh, that you had an aha moment, uh, which was more of an ow moment with your daughter <laughs> when she threw that book at you. But, you know, it, it's interesting because I know you talk about like substance abuse. How do you accept the truth you know, with grace and with courage? I think a lot of it, it, it it's one thing to say as parents or grandparents, Boy, this was never, you know, something we had to deal with, so we really don't know. And then we kind of want to go into that corner that says, so can't they just figure it out on their own? Well, it sounds like the challenges are way bigger than that. Talk, talk about how we can begin to accept. I, was, I spent some time with family a couple of weeks ago of an extended family member whose daughter died of a substance abuse situation. And mom and dad still haven't come to terms with it, that she even had a problem, let alone that she's dead. And I thought, oh, my goodness, that's got to be it's been a year and a half. And they're still kind of acting like either nothing happened or they just don't know what to do. What's a good way for us to help others or maybe even help ourselves when we've got a situation like this? How do you talk to parents and say, you do realize this is more than just the flu. Your daughter has an eating disorder or your son is you know, uh, going through some cyberbullying right now. 
You're absolutely right, and sometimes it's very difficult. I share my own story of my daughter having anxiety, and even me as a pediatric nurse practitioner, taking several years, and yes, I said years, to recognize and accept that. And Mm. so many times we want something that's easier to control. When we have strep throat, then we get the pink stuff, and we're better by next week. And if we're Mm -hmm. really honest in this world of instant gratification, we want those kinds of instant fixes. And there are no instant relationships. This takes your most valuable possession and commodity, and that is your time. If you want to influence your teen's worldview, you have to start by seeing the world as they see it. There's a real disconnect for our generation as parents and grandparents in seeing the world the way that we want it to be for teens and the way it actually is. So we can't lecture our way into leveraging behavioral change or argue our way into right relationship. We have to really start by listening. That is the main thing that teens want. Just recently I did a community suicide prevention event and I had a table with post-it notes filled out for youth to come up to and I said, I asked them the question, what is the one thing you're afraid to tell your parents that you want Mm. that you're not getting? Mm -hmm. There was one word covering the entire table, and that word was listen. They want us to listen to them and listen with our faces because so often we are so distracted. The world is going at the speed of a smartphone, and we're just not designed to live that way. So there's a a lot of fascinating research coming out about something, a phenomenon called bubbing. That's phone snubbing, snubbing someone who is in your presence for preference or interaction with your phone. And what we're discovering is that when we don't listen to people when we're talking to them and we don't make eye contact, when we do have eye contact, our brain produces oxytocin, which is a bonding chemical. So people Mm. don't feel connected to us. They don't feel heard. And so many times, you know, in this generation of parents and grandparents, we're so quick to jump on kids for being on their phone or being on social media when really they're just doing what we do. And we justify mm-hmm. our own phone usage, saying it's for work or right, you know, it's, right. it's more important. And that's just mm-hmm. not the case. And so really we have to start by listening to our teens and not leading with lecturing, but meeting them where they are, seeing the world as they see it, listening to their concerns, and then helping to, find, to empower them to find a way to navigate these turbulent cultural chaos, really. Yeah, yeah, it really is chaotic, too. I'm talking with Jessica Peck today here on The Bottom Line. Dr. Peck is the author of a brand-new book called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Gender identity is a huge thing with young people. I've read the statistics that say one out of every five members of Generation Z, which would be people ages, say, 12 or 13, up through their mid-20s, identifies as transgender, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to start cross-dressing or whatever. It just means they really do have that sense of, uh, you know, wanting to belong and connect with people who are that way. How do we, as parents and grandparents, Dr. Jessica Peck, respond with compassion and kindness when one of our kids says, I have a friend, or maybe it's me who wants to be that person? They're opening up. What's a good way to respond without blowing the relationship Well, you said something important earlier. Sometimes we just tend to take a hands-off approach, like I don't really want to engage with that or deal with that. But this is something that our kids are seeing every day. The statistics that I've seen were the latest poll from Gallup that said about 11% of Gen Z identifies as gender nonconforming, and that is increasing Mm -hmm. and more than any previous generation. But what it tells me 
is that most parents are not going to experience their child disclosing a, a different gender to them or gender confusion or something that's gender nonconforming to them, but most of them will experience someone in their social or family circle who will. And so we really have to be able to engage and to know what our kids are talking about. A lot of times parents are really afraid to initiate these discussions because they don't want to expose their kids to things that maybe they haven't been exposed to. But in today's world, with, again, going at the speed of a smartphone, and even if your kid doesn't have a smartphone, they have 97% of kids have access to one. They're shoulder surfing or they're borrowing someone else's. We have to lead and initiate these discussions with courage and empathy and expose them intentionally in a developmentally appropriate way, of course. The signals that we are the expert, that they can come to us with those concerns and questions. Most of the time what I see is parents who just kind of think, oh, not my kid. That wouldn't happen to my kid. And we have to place ourselves in that, in that space where we think this could happen to our kid a little bit of what you were talking about earlier with parents having difficulty grasping that. And you have to think, how are you going to respond in that moment? And if you can just practice a response that goes something like, I'm sorry that you're experiencing this. We're going to need some help to talk and work our way through this, but I want you to know that I love you no matter what, and I'm committed Mm -hmm. to finding a way to work through this together. That's so much better, and it can really change the trajectory of a kid's life rather than saying something like, what were you thinking? How could you do this? All of these rhetorical questions that we revert to so often, and I'm guilty too as parents. So I think just talking with them and helping them to feel confident that they can navigate the situations and that they will know what to do and that mainly that they can just come and talk to you about it. That is the most important thing. Mm. Dr. Jessica Peck, a lot of food for thought. And if you're looking at issues that kids are looking at, I mean, how has divorce impacted their relationship with their parents, substance abuse, cyberbullying, social media, the list goes on, uh, even into social justice and gender identity. Uh, the book doesn't necessarily solve all of our problems necessarily, but it does lay, now this is what I love about it, it lays a foundation for how to have the conversation, how to take action, how to be present, because acknowledging, and, and Dr. Peck knows this and I know this too, the world has changed so much, you really can't get your arms around the entire culture. You have to take it a step at a time. But, but these are good biblical principles that I think will be very beneficial to people who are looking for this kind of help uh, in a very challenging time. Dr. Jessica Peck, the book is called Behind Closed Doors, A Guide to Help Parents and Teens Navigate Through Life's Toughest Issues. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jessica, great to get to meet you. Thank you for the work, and thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thanks so much for having me, and if any listeners want to connect, they can find me at drnursemama.com. That's drnursemama.com. Boy, that's powerful testimony from Dr. Jessica Peck today here on The Bottom Line, a nurse practitioner who's been specializing in pediatric emergency medicine for nearly a quarter century, has written a book about where the culture is right now and how we as parents and grandparents, pastors and youth workers can do a better job of ministering to the younger people in our world. And this is for parents and teens, but those teen years are kind of pushing into the mid-20s right now. The book is called Behind Closed Doors, A Guide to Help Parents and Teens Navigate Through Life's Toughest Issues. We have five copies of this book to give away right now. Get one for your pastor if you don't need one for yourself right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, I'm going to take a quick look 
at one of the issues I think that is of grave concern for us in the culture and will definitely have an impact at the polls next week. We'll talk about what that is coming up next as the bottom line continues. Don't overpay on interest and fees by going with the wrong lender. Newport Bay Mortgage won't charge you points on your reverse mortgage wherever it is possible for them to do so. You will have peace of mind with the possibility of having additional cash to draw from to pay for unexpected expenses. Owner Cliff and his team do what they can to maximize the amount of cash available to you while minimizing the cost of closing. The result of having another stream of income relieves stress that you didn't even know was there. You'll save thousands by working with Newport Bay Mortgage because they avoid charging you points and they will never tack on unnecessary fees. When considering ways to relieve financial stress in, before, or for retirement, you need Newport Bay Mortgage. Visit kbrightradio.com slash reverse. Contact Cliff today. Call 714-741-8080. 714-741-8080. NMLS 332-559. Newport Bay Mortgage is an equal opportunity housing lender. My thanks again to Dr. Jessica Peck, the nurse practitioner extraordinaire who's also the author of the brand new book called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's Everyone Wednesday, and we've got five copies of this book that we're giving away right now. I give Teresa and Crystal a call, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line and i'm glad we have so many copies of this resource to deal with you know we all hear a lot about social media and cyberbullying, substance abuse i mean divorce some of the same things that kids have been going through and younger people have for years but i want to encourage you to think about this too in terms of how the world that we live and how much screen time young people spend trying to process and trying to figure things out If you have the opportunity to go on a social media fast, I want to encourage you to do so. If there are young people in your world right now, find out. Don't don't try to judge. Don't try to say, well, the goal here is three hours and whatever. See how long the young person in your life can go without using their smart device. And here's a good way to measure that. Next time you're with that teenager in your world, whether it's one of your kids or a grandkid or someone you work with at your church, not only... Should you encourage them to do without their smartphone device? But why don't you go without yours too? And see how long you can do it. Not going to lie. My sister and I were talking about this the other day. She had, uh, uh, my parents are dealing with some health issues and uh, she was at the hospital helping them with that. And I called her and sent her a text right before the show and we didn't connect. And she's always really good about answering. And she said, she called me back. She said, sorry about that. It was on the charger. I guess I was phoneless for a couple hours. And I thought, wow, I wonder how many people can go phoneless <laughs> for a day or a weekend or whatever. Um, if the more you understand how much it impacts your life, the more you'll understand how much it's impacting and shaping the minds and thoughts of the of the whole culture. Uh, actually, on tomorrow's edition of the Bottom Line Show, we're also going to be ha- continuing this conversation, uh, talking with a, a doc- soon-to-be Dr. Jason Thacker about uh, how we uh, uh, can follow Jesus in the digital age. So that'll be part two of this ongoing conversation. Hey, let's take a quick break. And as we continue, it's Everyone Wednesday. Got another great resource to share with you that we're giving away as well. Dr. O.S. Hawkins is back. The 12th book in his code series. Uh, This is called The Prayer Code. We're going to get into it on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. 
Well, today here on the bottom line, joined by a, a good friend of the broadcast, uh, Pastor O.S. Hawkins, who uh, has kind of created a little ditch for himself, if you will. Dr. Hawkins is, uh, um, has his uh, Ph.D. as well as his M.D. from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the former pastor of the historic First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and uh, the author of a number of books that have really helped us and helped our listeners dig in deep to passages in Scripture with regard to different aspects that are are basically just kind of codes, if you will. The brand new book is called The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises That Every Believer Should Claim. The book just came out, and it's runaway on bestseller on the charts, so we're grateful to get some time with O.S. Hawkins today here on The Bottom Line Show. Dr. Hawkins, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger. I love I love the name of your program. I like getting right to the bottom line every yeah. time. Yeah, well, let's get to it, because I know a lot of times you hear people who come from maybe a more charismatic background saying, I'm claiming this promise, I'm claiming that promise. I came from a more conservative uh, church-going background, and so th this is kind of new to me. When you talk about, we've talked about a lot of different codes before with the books you've written, but this one, the promise code, is kind of stretching my comfort zone a little bit. Uh, hey, thank you for saying that, Roger. And, <clears throat> you know, because of that, I might have changed that subtitle a bit, but I'll tell you why I kept it like it was. Okay. You know, a years ago, there was a, a perversion to biblical truth called the name it and claim it crowd. Right. In other words, here's a guy sees a brand new car out here and says, oh, I claim, I just, God, I'm claiming that car. I'm just going to name it and claim it for myself or something like that. Now, nothing could be farther of a perversion of biblical truth than that. But Adrian Rogers, who was a great pastor of the last generation, one of the greatest Bible expositors ever, uh, Adrian said it like this. He said, when God names it, you can claim it. Mm. And that that's what we're talking about here. For example, the Bible promises, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right. What a promise. I, you can claim that mm. as your very own. And that's what we mean. We're not take, talking about some uh, nuanced, mm. uh, esoteric type of naming and claiming, but we're talking about what the Bible says when God makes a promise to us that we can claim it as our very own and stand on top of it and, and, and live by it. And so I wrote the promise code uh, just to make sure that people knew that we don't live by explanations in the kingdom of God. We live by promises Amen. and, and God has promised uh, so many beautiful things in scripture. You know, it's interesting. O.S. Hawkins is with me today here on the bottom line. The book is called the promise code. 40 Bible promises every believer should claim, and we have a link to the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I, I hear this a lot. In a culture, I mean, two things are kind of at war with each other in the culture. Oh, Sockets, I'd love to get your comment on it. The first is that people are moving away from biblical truth, biblical authority. So you can see why even Christians or people who profess faith in Christ might look at some of these, uh, these Bible promises and say, wait a minute, I didn't know that was a part of my faith. But as the culture is moving away from godliness, at the same time, though, do you get a kick out of the number of people who either have a limited faith in Christ or a limited understanding or none whatsoever, who are horribly hurt when someone, quote unquote, breaks a promise? I mean, right. you know, talk, talk about how the, 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 you put your promise in a Maserati as opposed to, you know, I want that. That would be a great yeah, car, yeah. as opposed to what you're writing about. And the way you ground it in this new book, The Promise Code, really helps me to see 
past what I have been taught about flaming provinces right. and, and actually seeing what God's word has to say about it. Yeah. So Roger, that's a really pertinent question. And what I'm trying to do with the whole code series, the first one was, there are 12 of them now. The first one was the wow. Joshua Code, 52 scripture verses every believer should claim. I'm not trying to get people into the word of God. I'm trying to get the word of God into the people where right. it's alive in them. You're wearing glasses right now. Yeah. Uh, you're looking through a lens. I've got on contacts. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm looking through a lens. Yeah. Uh, and without it, I can't focus and I can't see clearly. We all look at life through some kind of a lens. Right. And what you're talking about the culture is some people view the scripture through the lens of culture. And so it's always changing for them. Where What I'm trying to do in the code series is get people to understand that we must view the culture through the lens of Scripture. Yeah. And so if we just look through the Scripture, that's what all the code books are Bible-based in order to help us do that. And this one, the promise code, I've written because promises made are appreciated. We all appreciate something, but sure. promises kept or what mean the most. It's one thing to make a promise. It's another to keep it. We've all had our experiences of people who never kept promises to us. Right. But did you know that the Bible is replete with promises God has made to you, and he has a perfect record in his own timing of keeping all of his promises? So I wrote it so people could begin the great adventure by living on these promises of God. You know, one of the promises that you write about in the Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises, every believer should claim, is the promise of forgiveness. And I would love for you, Owen Sockins, if you would, to kind of walk us through that, because you and I both know a lot of people who either have difficulty forgiving others, and, which is a direct violation of Scripture, or maybe right. more importantly, have a tough time thinking that God would actually forgive us, and maybe that's why we're having such a hard time with it. Talk about that. Okay, well, you know, Roger, the... Uh... Some of the promises in God's word are unconditional. He's made them and they're going to take place regardless of what we do. Mm -hmm. The promise of the, he's never going to destroy the world in a flood again. To put the rainbow there. It's right, an unconditional right. promise. His promise that I'm going to come. He said in John 14, I will come again and receive you unto myself. He's, he's promised us he's going to come again and return. But, and it's not conditional on what I do. It's an unconditional promise, but there are some, like this one you just mentioned, that are conditional. We have the promise in 1 John 1, 9 that God will forgive our sins, but there's a condition. He said, if we confess our sins, mm -hmm. he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. And that word confession, we see in the devotional in that particular promise, means to agree with God. It's a compound Greek word, homo legeo, that means to say the same as, say the same as God. Our sin isn't some little vice we can laugh off or excuse by saying, well, everybody's doing it, or minimize by saying it's not as bad as so-and-so. It's so serious it necessitated the cross. So when we confess our sin, uh, we agree with God about it, and he then cleanses us and forgives us. Wow, that's one of the great promises that you'll see highlighted in the brand new book by O.S. Hawkins, the book called The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim, the 12th book in the Code series. We have a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. There are people, uh, O.S. Hawkins, who are looking at the Word of God, and they're asking the question, is this really the living and active Word of God, as Hebrews tells us, or is this kind of a history book? 
that type of thing. Talk about how we have the assurance that the Bible is, in fact, not only God's living word, but his abiding word for us. Yeah, well, you know, Spurgeon, Spurgeon said, you don't, it's like a lion, you, the Bible, you don't, you, you don't have to defend it. You just let loose it and let it go. And mm -hmm. the word of God has withstood the test of, of time. Obviously it's all scripture. The Bible says is given by inspiration of God, but how can we be sure that God keeps his promises, Roger? And I'll tell you how, whether one keeps their promise or not is based on his or her character. You know, you take an unrepentant thief, somebody that has been multiple times caught for theft and been charged and incarcerated time after time after time after time. After the sixth or eighth time, they stand before the judge and they say, Judge, I promise you I'm never going to steal again. Right. That judge is not going to take that because, <laughs> because of their character. Sure. How can we trust God to keep his word? Because of his character. For the Bible says in Hebrews 6, 18, it is impossible for God to lie. His word is his bond. Your Bible is laced with promises God has made specifically to you. That's a, a, a comforting and uh, at the same time, uh, it's a powerful exhortation from pastor and author O.S. Hawkins today here on The Bottom Line. The brand new book is called The Promise Code. And we were looking at and We have been looking at during this first uh, segment of the program. 40 Bible promises that every believer should claim, not in a name and claim it sense, as uh, Pastor Hawkins mentioned, but rather saying, look, these are in the pages of Scripture. You can take these to the bank, if you will, in terms of your uh, salvation story. Uh, the book, The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We'll take a quick break, take a look at a couple more promises when we come back as The Bottom Line continues. When a young mother hears her baby's heartbeat for the first time, everything changes. They know that's a baby. And when you partner with us and Preborn, you let them see the ultrasound image and God takes care of the rest. Roger Marsh here for Preborn, our newest member of the Bottom Line Show family. Preborn is helping women by helping them see their child on the ultrasound, hear that baby's heartbeat for the first time after getting that pregnancy test, and you'd be amazed at the results. So far for the first half of this year, more than 25,000 babies have been saved through Preborn, and 25 ultrasound machines have been placed. Now it costs $28 to provide a free ultrasound for a woman who who's facing an unplanned pregnancy and wondering what to do with the child. We tell her what option number three is in addition to option one and two. Option one, of course, you're a mom. Option two, legally, you can get abortion in some states. But option number three is adoption, and the ultrasound makes option number one or three much more palatable. Call 833-850-BABY right now. Make a $28 donation to save one life. Make a $28 a month donation to save a life each and every month. That's less than a dollar a day. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or click the preborn banner when you go to kbrightradio.com today. O.S. Hawkins is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, a prolific author, a former pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas. And last week we had Dr. Robert Jefferson, his successor, and uh, they have a great uh, fun friendship that they uh, really support each other in ministry. And grateful to have both men as contributors to The Bottom Line show. The brand new book is called The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim. It's the 12th book in the Code series, and we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. During the break, uh, Dr. Hawkins, we were talking about the difference in terminology. I mentioned at the beginning that when I hear, you know, believers claiming promises and everything, the first thing I think of is that kind of charismatic, and you 
use the phrase name it and claim it. And that's certainly not what we're talking about. Right. I, I want a new car. I want a new house. God, yeah. I, God wants to bless me. And he loves me. This it's not that at all. This is promises of everlasting life and potential exactly. and security, that type of thing. But there are some people who say, wait a minute, are we supposed to study God's word precept upon precept? And aren't those essentially the same thing? How do you respond to the question, what's the difference between a precept and a promise? Thanks, because uh, we are supposed to study the Bible precept upon precept. And there's a, there's a difference. A precept is a guiding principle or rule that governs and influences our conduct. Uh, a commandment in the Ten Commandments, for example, don't steal, don't lie. Uh, don't covet. Uh, a promise is an assurance that someone will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will come to pass. So it's one thing to read the Bible and struggle with its precepts, but it's quite another thing to believe the Bible and stand on its promises. Mm. And so that's why we've written this book, uh, not to cause people to struggle with the precepts of God, but to simply believe the word of God and stand on its promises that God has made to us. And it opens a whole new world because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When Amen. we begin to take God at his word, that's how we build our faith. You know, when you talk about these different promises, uh, Dr. Hawkins, I, I, I'm always taken with the promises that I'm aware of, you know, there's a promise of heaven. We know that that is a mm -hmm. lot, absolute ironclad guarantee. At the same time, though, when I think about heaven and eternity and things of that nature, I know there are a lot of believers who are struggling right now, either struggling in their faith, kind of wrestling with tough concepts, or maybe they're living in parts of the world where it's extremely difficult to be a Christian. One of the promises you write about in the promise code, 40 Bible promises, every believer should claim. Is something you refer to as the promise of pleasures forevermore. Talk about what you mean by that. Right. Well, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Bible talks about uh, pleasures forevermore. And to be honest with you, Roger, I'm going to have to find that one and see exactly what I meant by that, because I thought you were going to go to the one that's similar to it, which is the first one. The very reason I put this first one in the book is what you just said about those who have the promises of heaven, but we're living right now. We need help and hope right now. Well, you and know so go, the, go, with, the, go, with, go with that one. We can edit that. Yeah, the promise of a brighter tomorrow in, there you go. is the very first one. And it's the promise that says that, for we know that all things work together for good. Mm -hmm. What a promise. To those who love God and are called to his purpose. You yeah. mentioned my friend Robert Jeffers in the First Baptist Church of Dallas, where I was pastor before Robert. It's one of the most biblically literate churches in the in the world. John mm. W.A. Criswell pastored it for 50 years. When I was there, I preached to Charles Ryrie of the Ryrie Study Bible, wow. any of the DTS professors there. So I was preaching through Romans 8, and I, I sent our staff out around the church when people were coming in, and I asked them to get people to quote Romans 8, 28. Mm -hmm. And they came back, and 90% of those folks in that great church said, oh, I know that verse. All things work together for good. And they left off the first phrase that says, for we know. You see, R.T. Kendall calls that a family secret. Yeah. <laughs> the lost world doesn't know this, but we do. And they left off the last phrase, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And to those of us, we have the promise that God, not everything happens is good, but God can take everything and work together in the tapestry of the cross and turn it out 
ultimately for our good and his glory. It's the promise really of a brighter tomorrow. I love that. I think that's wonderful counsel from uh, Dr. O.S. Hawkins today here on the Bottom Line Show as we're talking about his brand new book, the 12th in the Code series, if you can believe it. It's called The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, the promise of salvation is something that a lot of people, uh, maybe, you know, they wonder. I mean, we, we see evangelistic events going on, and a lot of people who go to them are people who are already saved. And I, right. I, and I often wonder, well, are you bringing along people or whatever? Talk about this promise of salvation and how we can be certain that our salvation really is secure. Well, this is the promise that follows the most pointed question in all the Bible, Acts 16.30, where the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? And his pointed reply was a promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen. It's in faith and faith alone. That's why Paul would would uh, 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 later write to the Ephesians and say, by, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And so, you know, Roger, I'm sure we have hearers right now that still think salvation is spelled D-O, what we have to do to be saved. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. We can't do this. We can't do that. It's not spelled D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E, done. Mm. It's already accomplished for us in Jesus Christ on the cross. Our part is to receive that gift, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And we have the promise you will be saved. I love that. That's great counsel from uh, O.S. Hawkins today here on The Bottom Line. We're talking about promises that every believer should claim in Scripture. They're all contained in his brand new book called The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You mentioned earlier uh, to me we were having a conversation about the Code series and how popular it's been. I know Bottom Line Show listeners are right now, they have itchy hands. They're getting ready to to, to dial the number and call in because they want to get a copy of the book and we'll have one to give away at the end of this conversation. But the reason for the popularity of this book, I'm sure has more to do with how God is using it and your heart being aligned with his talk about what happens to uh, the proceeds when someone does purchase one of the coaches. Thank you, Roger. And you know, I really, I, I don't want to spiritualize the matter, but I really believe this is why God has blessed this code series. They've sold yeah. almost 3 million copies in the last wow. two or three years. Wow. And, uh, you know, we started with the Joshua Code, 52 scripture verses every believer should know, the Jesus Code, 52 scripture questions every believer should answer, the Bible Code, finding Jesus, and on and on and on. You can go to oshawkins.com and find all the code books there, along with hundreds of free Bible resources there also. But all the royalties to all the code books go to Mission Dignity. Hmm. We're, we're on a mission. We have a ministry. We're on a mission to bring dignity to some forgotten people. Hmm. And that's retired pastors and their widows living at the poverty level. They pastor Roger in little churches out in the highways and hedges, never made enough to live on, much less retire on. And then they had to vocationally retire. Many of them lived in a church-owned home they had to get out of. Hmm. And they're at the poverty level. So 10 years ago, we were able to give them $50 a month. Now, so many people have bought the code series that we're able to give the neediest $700 a month. And there are thousands wow. of programs. One little 87-year-old pastor's widow wrote me not long ago, and she said, I get to eat at night now, and it's not just a piece of toast. Ah. So your your readers can know that every, and they're beautiful leather-bound 
gift editions. So every time you purchase one to give for a Christmas gift or give to somebody, all of us know somebody that needs to know the promises of God. Right, right. Every time you purchase one of these, you can know that I don't make a dime from it. All the royalties of all the code series go to support these precious soldiers of the cross that spent their lives serving Christ. I love it. Well, I'm, we're going to have a link for oshawkins.com up at the bottomlineshow.com. You can see all of the Code Series books there. And then, of course, you can choose to purchase one. Uh, the, the proceeds, all the proceeds are going toward helping support pastors and their spouses who are in retirement years who basically now get a retirement uh, stipend, if you will, that they would not have had. The brand new book from O.S. Hawkins is called The Promise Code. 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. OS, I'm going to put you on the spot in the last 60 seconds here. There are 40 of these Bible promises. I know you started with the promise of a brighter tomorrow. You, right. end, the, you end the book, bookending it, with the promise of his return. Is there any one of these promises right now that jumps out at you as a promise that you believe the church really needs to not only hear, but start claiming today? Well, of course... The Bible has talks of three comings, the coming of Christ fulfilled at Bethlehem, mm -hmm. the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, another helper I'm going to send to you. That promise is in here. And then the third promise yet to be fulfilled, the only one yet to be fulfilled, is the coming of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ. And what a promise that is. That's, that was the key to the early believers. They were looking for Jesus. There was a word, Maranatha, that was constantly on their lips. Yeah, the Lord yeah. comes. They greeted each other with that word. When they went to martyr's death and were burned at the stake, they shouted that word to each other. And the last promise of the Bible, Jesus said in Revelation 22, even uh, he said, I come quickly. And the last prayer of the Bible, even so come. Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so uh, that is our blessed hope, our promised Savior returning to receive us unto himself, that where he is, there we may be also. Well, the 39 other promises packed a lot of wallop, but that one's in the promise code too, and it's a fitting way to end the book and our conversation today. Dr. O.S. Hawkins, the book is called The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com in addition to oshawkins.com where you can find information on how your purchase of the book can actually help support uh, retired pastors and their spouses in uh, you know, pulling them out of some pretty dire straits. O.S. Hawkins, always a pleasure. Nice to be able to see Thank you, you for our, for oh, our Zoom so, audience, too. This is great to be able to, to go face-to-face yeah. -face like this. Thanks for being with us today. Thank Thanks you so much. Blessings on you, pal. More to come in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. When you're injured in an accident, you just want to be treated like a human being. But when you are denied what you need to make a quick and full recovery, it can feel dehumanizing. Stephanie Cover puts her client's total healing first, and that means fighting for a settlement that respects you as a human being. The insurance companies don't necessarily care about why you need a settlement, but they know that it means they will lose money. Stephanie will stand up for a dollar amount that values your life and the full process of your complete restoration. Even when the insurance companies are doing their best not to pay you, you have a leg up because Stephanie Cover used to work for those same insurance companies. Getting you well positioned for your full physical, financial, and spiritual recovery is Stephanie's goal in working with you. Save her number now or call 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. 
Then fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. she knows the other side. My thanks again to pastor and author O.S. Hawkins for joining me today here on The Bottom Line, and also uh, not only with the audio, but with the video too. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And uh, O.S. Hawkins' his brand new book called The Promise Code, 40 Bible Promises Every Believer Should Claim, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got one copy of this book to give away. Remember, it's Everyone Wednesday, so everybody who calls is going to win. We're still giving away the five copies of Dr. Jessica Peck's book on uh, teens and the culture uh, called Behind Closed Doors, A Guide to Help Parents and teens navigate teen culture and life's tough issues so for either of these books 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line you know it's kind of a uh, a rather loaded question when you ask a christian do you believe and trust in the promises of god that you've read in the bible i guess the proof would be do we live our lives by them and how often of us don't? I mean, guilty is charged. Uh, I'll start looking at something God tra- calls me to do on faith, and then I immediately go into, but what do I know? What do I understand? And how do I keep following that? Because I can trust that. I mean, we, we have to be very, very careful of the fact that we could fall into the category that so many other Christians have done. And I'm talking about guys and gals we read about in Scripture. We trust God for our provision, you know, and we don't want to sin against him. But if we trust him for blessings, sometimes we will start trusting the blessings he gives us rather than the blessor. And one of the things I love about the 40 Bible promises that are in the promise code is they bring us back to God. They bring us back to his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's where our faith and hope needs to be. I encourage you to give the girls a call. Teresa and Crystal are standing by at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line here on this Everyone Wednesday. We've got one copy of The Promise Code by O.S. Hawkins to give away. We have five copies of Dr. Jessica Peck's book called Behind Closed Doors, A Guide to Help Parents and Teens Navigate Through Life's Toughest Issues. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those of us who remain on the network, and by the way, KCBC, you're going to hear this segment tonight at 7 on the Bottom Line Show Extra. What about the pastors? And there are so many of them now, men and women all across the country who are running for city council, they're running for local government, but they're also still in the pulpit on Sunday morning encouraging people to vote for them for office. Is that right? Should the IRS crack down on these people? One case in Newport News, Virginia, gives us a lot of information as to, I think, how we as Christians should handle this whole issue. We're going to do an analysis, balance, and clarity segment on that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome back to this special edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. I say that a lot. I, I think all the programs, I really do appreciate the fa- the special nature of the shows. Uh, just because of the guests that we're able to get, the variety we're able to share with you, uh, the urgency of some of the uh, issues that uh, we're dealing with, of course. And I've noticed something over the years. By the way, it's Everyone Wednesday, and we're still taking your calls at 800-227-5278. Just finished a conversation with O.S. Hawkins about his new book called The Prayer Code. And uh, we've got one copy of that to give away. 
But also, uh, Dr. Jessica Peck was my guest early on in the broadcast. We kicked off the program today with her dialogue about her outstanding book uh, with regards to, this is a woman who's a nurse practitioner who specializes in pediatric emergency medicine. And she's seen such a huge uptick in young people dealing with mental health issues, gender dysphoria issues, depression at an all-time high. And so she wrote a book about it called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. And we've got five copies of the book to give away, and I really especially implore upon you if you're a grandparent. And it seems like that once really sweet, loving little girl or young man, you know, that was so fun to be around is now really wrestling with some tough challenges. Uh, This book helps explain part of the reason why. So it's a great book to get, uh, to have for yourself, for your own edification. Or maybe if you've got adult children who are raising kids, maybe your youth pastor who is, uh, you know, wondering why the kids in the youth group are so all over the place. This is a book that will help explain that, Dr. Jessica Peck's book, Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents and grandparents and youth workers and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. So lots of opportunity for you to win something today. And, of course, everyone who calls in is going to win something. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, of course, we are less than a week away from election, the midterm 2022, which for midterm elections is shaping up to be one of the weightiest battles uh, we've seen in American history. Um, usually the midterm election, there are a third of the Senate seats are up for grabs. All of the House seats are up for grabs. And then there are a few propositions, et cetera, et cetera. But it seems like more and more of the propositions are mirroring other states. So we talked about that. As a matter of fact, we recorded earlier today, uh, this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable. As you can imagine, this is the only, uh, our last time to talk about election stuff before the election. So it was Bob Duco, Neil Boron, and yours truly. John Rush was traveling today. And uh, we discussed the elections. And it was amazing how Proposition 1 in California, for example, is basically the same as Proposal 3 in Michigan. But Proposal 3 also includes transgender issues that are already codified into law here in the state of California. So, um, People are working for the same types of things that they, you know, uh, in different states. And it seems like it's really a progressives versus uh, conservatives. It's a left versus right. It really is a battle. I mean, I hate to say it, but it's a battle of good versus evil. And one of the questions that is going to be asked a lot this weekend is, what is your pastor doing about it? Never have we seen, never before have we seen, a time when it appears, anecdotally anyway, it means we don't have any actual <laughs> statistical analysis that bears this out, uh, that people want their pastors to talk politics from the pulpit. And I, I'll tell you, it's a mixed bag for me when it comes down to it for a couple different reasons. First of all, as a lifelong Southern California resident, the number of people that I see taking advantage of the so-called Johnson Amendment. Remember when Lyndon Baines Johnson was a senator from Texas, 1954, he did not like the conservative movement talking about evangelical things and that all those types of issues. And so the the so-called Johnson Amendment was passed in the United States Senate that basically made it a federal crime if anyone would uh, preach anything other than the gospel from the pulpit. If you were talking about Uh, politics or endorsing a candidate, anything like that, it was illegal. Now, what's interesting about that, I remember when Reverend Jim Garlow, 
who is retired from pulpit ministry but still has the well-versed ministry. He left his position at Skyline Wesleyan Church. Uh, his his wife, uh, Carol, had passed away from cancer. He remarried a wonderful woman, Rosemary, and they have been traveling the world doing ministry for helping people. I mean, they, they established a church in the White House. I mean, they, they, they did all sorts of great things. But when Jim Garlow was in pulpit ministry, he used to encourage pastors, I think it was the second Sunday of the month of October, to literally preach a sermon that was politically motivated. This is why I'm in favor of this candidate. This is why I'm against this measure, whatever it was, to record that message and then send it to the Internal Revenue Service and say, basically, we dare you to audit us. And I, I admired him for doing that because uh, thousands of churches would basically participate in this. And then there were all sorts of great organizations, Legal Wise, Alliance Defending Freedom and others, who would say, look, if you get audited, if you are, if they try to take you to court, we will help pay for your defense. And there were a lot of churches that had were audited. They had to prove that they were, in fact, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. But not one church ever lost its 501c3 status with the Internal Revenue Service for doing that. So you and I know it's kind of a nebulous suggestion that the IRS tax code does in fact prohibit pastors from preaching politics from the pulpit. Nebulous in the sense that every time you see a pastor doing it, you have to ask the question, well, aren't they going to get in trouble with the Internal Revenue Service? But then, hey, as a lifelong Southern California resident, it's just kind of become standard operating procedure that we know in California that somewhere near the first AME Church of Los Angeles, on or about election time, you're going to see Maxine Waters, you're going to see Jesse Jackson, you're going to see some political operative in the pulpit preaching of the importance of voting your conscience, voting your values. And in those cases, they're leftist values that favor uh, same-sex quote-unquote marriage and um, abortion on demand up through labor and delivery, et cetera, et cetera. But typically, the IRS doesn't get involved in cases like this. They just kind of turn a blind eye and a deaf ear. There are a lot of... I mean, the same thing happens on the other side, too. Ted Cruz is going to be in the pulpit at some church in Texas this weekend. I mean, you just you know that's going to happen. Uh, President Trump is out still uh, you know, campaigning for his candidates. Ironically, President Obama is out campaigning for Democrats, too. I mean, it, it's gotten to the point where the candidates don't seem to have quite the muster that they used to have. The oomph if they will. But what's interesting now and what makes this a bit more challenging is two things. First, the number of pastors, obviously, who espouse biblical values and conservative principles, et cetera, et cetera. But secondly, just the sheer volume of pastors who are actually running for office in the first place. We've seen this here in Southern California. A lot of pastors are running for city council and school board and things like that. And, and to which I say a hail and hearty amen. I, if God leads you in that direction, I think you should. I, I'll be honest with you, full transparency. As we are now in the 12th year of the Bottom Line Show, every now and again, I'll hear from someone who's asked if I've considered running for office. Not too often, maybe a handful of times in the past dozen years. And my answer is always the same. I don't feel called to that office. The office to which I have been called to is pastor. And that, in addition to pastoral ministry, uh, using the platform of broadcasting and now with audio podcasting and now with video, with My Hope Now. I mean, there's, there, trust me, there's a lot keeping all of us Crawford Broadcasting guys very busy. Uh, a run for politics would not fall in that uh, category. And part of the reason, too, I'll be, I'm not going to lie, 
If you remember during California's recall election in 2021, a guy by the name of Larry Elder, who was working for Salem Communications at the time, Salem Media Group, he had a program that was syndicated through Salem. Um, When he announced he was running for governor of California, he had to step away from his uh, talk show, Uh, not only because he was on the campaign trail all the time, but also, I mean, (laughs) simply put, uh, there is an issue of equal time when it comes to campaigning and politicking. And so what would happen is if I were to run, say, for a governor or maybe a city council or something like that, I would literally have to give my opponent half of my broadcast time here every day to, just to, to keep the, uh, the political boundaries in check. So rather than do that, I'm not going to do it. But there are more pastors who are running for office. And there's one pastor in particular uh, who's in Virginia who made headlines recently because he's facing allegations that he used his pulpit to promote his campaign for the city council in Newport News, Virginia. A man by the name of Willard Maxwell serves as a pastor of the New Beach Grove Baptist Church in Newport News. According to the Virginia Public Access Project, he is running as an independent candidate for a seat on the Newport News City Council. Uh, His opponent, by the way, not that this matters, but just out of curiosity, a guy called Curtis Bethany also running as an independent. They don't have a party affiliation as well. Um, apparently, he is seeking uh, the Newport News City Council North District Seat B. And we'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. You can see the link and all the information. The Newport News Daily Press is reporting that Pastor Maxwell encouraged his congregants to support his campaign during a sermon. And this is where it gets dicey because now there's a call for him to be reprimanded, censured, and possibly even brought up on criminal charges because he's violated the IRS tax code and uh, that one that prohibits tax-exempt organizations, like a church, uh, from, quote, directly or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for elected public office. So did the pastor cross the line? Well, what do you say we do some analysis, balance, and clarity investigation here on this case to get to the D part, the discernment, to see whether or not pastors should even run for office in the first place? And secondly, if so, should they use their pulpit as a campaign platform for seeking that office? Let's talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Let Wilson Financial Services help you identify proprietary financial strategies for your wealth that work for your life. Let's revisit our one-year CD. Had a client who had $500,000 of retained earnings in his corporation for the last three years. I said, if you'd have put that into this account three years ago, you'd have seventy-five dollars to $100,000 of interest versus what you have now, which is a nice round number. Had a client sell his house, had $450,000 in the bank. I told him, is he really not likely to buy a house in the next 12 months? You want to leave this in the bank earning nothing? Or would you like to earn some interest on it over the next 12 months? So he said, how much? I said, well, how about between 20 and 30,000? He says, zero versus 20 or 30,000. Yeah, he says, I like the 20 or 30,000. Sounds better. Aren't you tired of earning nothing with all the money you have in the bank? Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's Everyone Wednesday here on The Bottom Line. We're still taking your calls at 800-227-5278. Got a couple of books that are up for grabs here. Uh, One of them, of course, is The Prayer Code by uh, Dr. O.S. Hawkins and the new one called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents 
and I say youth workers and grandparents fit in that category too, as well as teens, navigate life through life's toughest issues. Written by nurse practitioner Dr. Jessica L. Peck. Fascinating what she's seen in her practice in emergency medicine for adolescents and how things are literally changing by the week. Um, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, as we prepare for the election next Tuesday, and of course people have been voting right now and they're you know, getting their ballots in and mailed and whatever, we're taking a look at the case of Pastor Willard Maxwell. He's pastor of the New Beach Grove Baptist Church in Newport News, Virginia. He's also a candidate for Newport News City Council North Seat uh, North District, rather, Seat B. Um, he l- recently, allegedly, used the pulpit to encourage people to support his campaign. As a matter of fact, the uh, Virginia Daily Press reported last weekend that Maxwell encouraged his congregants to support his campaign during a recent sermon. And during the presentation, he said, and I'm quoting him here, we have signs out there. If you want to take a sign to your house, that would be great. Also, anytime you want to donate, it doesn't matter, or get other people to donate, I would really appreciate that. Now, Reverend Maxwell knows that there is a law. The Internal Revenue Code uh, does prohibit a tax-exempt organization like a church or a charitable organization or a religious organization from, quote, directly or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or in opposition to any candidate for elected public office. The IRS code identifies, quote, contributions to political campaign funds or public statements of position, verbal or written, made on behalf of the organization in favor of or opposition to any candidate for public office is a violation of federal law. Now, let that sink in for a moment. And while you're doing so, consider what Pastor Maxwell said in response to this. He said, look. Republicans and Democrats alike have been trying to tell me I can't say nothing. That's a direct quote. If I can't say nothing, you can't say nothing because this is my house. Now, I I always thought of the church as God's house. I mean, I I realize that he's the pastor at that church. But he says, "I, I know a lot of people will say you can't use certain things or you can't say that type of thing at church. A woman called Sharon Richardson contacted contacted the Newport News Commonwealth's Attorney Office. Virginia is a Commonwealth. She also contacted the Voter Registrar's Office and the local news, the Daily Press. In an email from the Newport News Commonwealth Attorney's uh, Attorney Howard Gwynn to Miss Richardson, and the Daily Press got it and published it. They described, she took a video of Pastor Maxwell saying those things in church, and they described the content of the video as, quote, very disturbing. Uh, The uh, Attorney General then uh, said, I assure you, quote, this matter is under investigation and is being taken very seriously. Now, uh, the Christian Post reached out to Pastor Maxwell and also the Attorney's Office and also the Voter Registrar's Office for a comment, but they have not made one as yet. Um... Ms. Richardson also provided screenshots from an email, uh, an advertising uh, a campaign event back in August, titled Leading Ladies from Maxwell. The email informed recipients that tickets for the event were available in the New Beach Grove Baptist Church office, suggesting a direct link between the pastor's campaign for public office and the church itself. She also shared a screenshot. By the way, I, I have to admit, 
without weighing in one way or the other, I'm very impressed at the diligence of this woman who went online, grabbed some screenshots, got video of a church service, probably even went a time or two just to see what's going on, or maybe she took the stream, uh, the video stream of his worship service nonetheless. Uh, She says on the church website, there was a link to Pastor Maxwell's campaign website. Now, in the interview with the Daily Press, Pastor Maxwell denied all the allegations. He said that the link to his campaign website appeared on the church's site because the group he hired to work on various websites added the link to the campaign church website by accident. Um, As of last Tuesday, that link is no longer on the church's website. And he assured the Daily Press, it hasn't been there for months. We made a mistake. He said, you know, here's the thing, though. When I'm in the pulpit and I'm encouraging people to come worship with us, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Matter of fact, if my opponent wanted to come and speak from the pulpit, I would say yes. And again, he referred to it as his pulpit. Now, what's interesting about this, though, is this is, first of all, not the first time Virginia churches have been under the microscope. Uh, Last year, ahead of the gubernatorial election, uh, the group Americans United for Separation of Church and State said that there was a campaign ad uh, that slated uh, 300 predominantly African-American churches featuring Vice President Kamala Harris urging congregants to support Democrat Terry McAuliffe. And we profiled that video here on the Bottom Line Show. And I was outraged at the time. I, the, the Vice President of the United States basically running ads that show up in African-American churches, historically African-American churches. I, I don't like that one bit. So you might be saying, okay, well, Roger, what are you saying? I mean, are you saying that a pastor should not be talking politics from the pulpit? Well, here's the thing. What happens in politics is a reflection of what's going on in the culture. And the last time I checked, if you look at the parables of Jesus, his parables were very, very culturally sensitive. He'd be talking to a group of people who are in the hill country working as shepherds, and he'd say, the kingdom of God is like the shepherd who has a hundred sheep in his fold, and one of them gets away. You know, the par- you know, he would leave the 99 to go retrieve the one. Why would he share that story? Because everybody there understood it. Everybody there lived it, and they knew what it was like. If you were watching a hundred sheep and somebody else was watching a hundred sheep and there were four or five shepherds around, and one of you had one of the sheep that got lost, you'd look at the other four shepherds and say, dude, can you watch my my flock, I have to get the flock out of here, ha ha, and, and go find this other lamb. And then they'd bring the lamb back and everybody would rejoice and it would be a very happy time, et cetera, et cetera. He, he constantly used cultural references that would relate to what was happening in the culture. Remember when the Pharisees came up and asked, is it lawful to pay the tax to Caesar? And he said, bring me a coin. They bring the coin, one, you know, the denarius of the day, and it had, you know, the head of Caesar on one side, whatever. And he'd say, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, render to God the things that are God's. So he did not have the United States Internal Revenue Service code saying, Jesus, you cannot walk into the synagogue on the Sabbath, stand up in front of the congregation, read from Scripture, and then say, and I'm voting for so-and-so for governor. Jesus, I don't think, would do that. But were there church leaders that were also elected officials? See, this is kind of a... It's not really an apples-to-apples comparison. I'll tell you what. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, final segment of the program, we'll kind of walk through some of the scenarios that are being played out here right before our very eyes and ask ourselves the question, does this pastor deserve to have his 501c3 status revoked when you consider the activities of other pastors and other nonprofit organizations? 
that are doing essentially the same type of thing. We'll talk about that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. When a young mother hears her baby's heartbeat for the first time, everything changes. They know that's a baby. And when you partner with us and Preborn, you let them see the ultrasound image and God takes care of the rest. Roger Marsh here for Preborn, our newest member of the Bottom Line Show family. Preborn is helping women by helping them see their child on the ultrasound, hear that baby's heartbeat for the first time after getting that pregnancy test, and you'd be amazed at the results. So far for the first half of this year, more than 25,000 babies have been saved through Preborn, and 25 ultrasound machines have been placed. Now it costs $28 to provide a free ultrasound for a woman who's facing an unplanned pregnancy and wondering what to do with the child. We tell her what option number three is in addition to option one and two. Option one, of course, you're a mom. Option two, legally, you can get abortion in some states. But option number three is adoption. And the ultrasound makes option number one or three much more palatable. Call 833-850-BABY right now. Make a $28 donation to save one life. Make a $28 a month donation to save a life each and every month. That's less than a dollar a day. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, or click the preborn banner when you go to kbrightradio.com today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Everyone Wednesday today here on the Bottom Line, and we're still giving away copies of the outstanding book by the nurse practitioner, Dr. Jessica Peck, who has been in this line of work for 25 years and is saying a huge change in the number of young people who are facing depression, anxiety, and uh, isolation more than any other. She's written a book called Behind Closed Doors, a guide to help parents, and I add, and grandparents and youth workers and teens navigate through life's toughest issues. We've got five copies of the book to give away at 800-227-5278. Would love to get a copy in your hands. You know, we've been taking a look at this case of uh, the pastor Willard Maxwell in Virginia, uh, Newport News, uh, Virginia. Uh, he's the pastor of the New Beach Grove Baptist Church, and he's running for city council there. And he's taken to the pulpit to encourage people to support his campaign, get one of the, the, the signs you can put in front of your house, uh, donate five bucks or 25 bucks or whatever, and spread the word. And a woman in their area went to the state attorney or the Commonwealth, excuse me, their attorney general's office, the voter registration office and the local newspaper and said, hey, I've got screenshots, I've got video. In other words, I've got receipts, as they say in the culture. And I, I think what this pastor's doing is wrong. It's a violation of separation of church and state, but specifically it violates the Internal Revenue Code. And so here comes the Johnson Amendment, and is this pastor going to get shut down and lose his license? I'll be honest with you. If he wins election, there's a very good possibility the Internal Revenue Service will revoke the church's nonprofit status. And that would be unfortunate. It would be really unfortunate. But not that I don't think pastors should talk politics from the pulpit. I know that if I were a church and on a church council and one of our pastors were running for an office, I would respectfully ask that guy to not preach until after the election. Let's take six weeks off. Everybody knows you're running for office. Other people can talk about it. When I hear Reverend Maxwell talking about the fact, he goes, this is my pulpit, this is my church, this is my house, that makes me a little concerned. When Kamala Harris made a video that was shown in 300 
traditionally black churches in favor of Terry McAuliffe against Glenn Youngkin in last year's gubernatorial race in Virginia. I, I, I screamed from the highest building. I don't think this is right. It never should be happening. And, and I don't think it should have happened. Now, fortunately, uh, Governor Youngkin wound up winning anyway. So Kamala Harris really didn't have a lot of weight in that that uh, the vote. But let me read to you from the Internal Revenue Service code once again and then ask the question, should a politician be in the pulpit right around election time? Should a nonprofit organization be allowed to give money to political causes and not be subject to IRS scrutiny? I don't think a pastor should be in the pulpit saying, vote for me, vote for me, my opponent's a jerk. Take one of my campaign signs, they're in the narthex, and uh, make a donation of, uh, there goes my GoPro just randomly going off, uh, that make a donation of five bucks to support my campaign. I don't think pastors should be doing that. If you're running for office, people get it. But, you know, for that hour and change on Sunday morning, I don't think that should be a part of the issue. But here's what the Internal Revenue Code prohibits. It prohibits tax-exempt organizations from directly or indirectly participating in or intervening in any political campaign on behalf of or opposition to any candidate for public office. The IRS code identifies, quote, contributions to political campaign funds or public statements of a position, verbal or written, made on behalf of the organization in favor of or in opposition to any candidate for public office as a violation of federal law. So should that be happening with a church? Well, a church falls in that category as being prohibited, but so does a religious organization, and so do charitable organizations as well. So souls to the polls which is sponsored by the Democrat Party, that encourages voter registration, campaign contributions, and now ballot harvesting of African-American voters at black churches is okay. So Planned Parenthood makes donations through Planned Parenthood for action. Planned Parenthood, a nonprofit organization, 501c3 status, blatantly campaigns that they're putting $40 million plus, it may be up to 60 into the coffers of Democrat candidates who will fight for abortion rights. Somehow the Internal Revenue Service has never thought to revoke their nonprofit status. But Pastor Willard Maxwell at Tiny Little Baptist Church in Newport News, Virginia, might lose his church's 501c3 because the IRS says, well, you're raising money. Those $25 donations really add up. They wouldn't waste their time with $1.5 billion strong Planned Parenthood. But, oh, what happens when a pastor says, I'm running for city council? And, and, and in the venerable District B in Newport News, Virginia, up for crying out loud. How many people live in Newport News? How many millions of people are influenced by Planned Parenthood? You see the hypocrisy. And when Maxine Waters shows up at the L.A. First Church of the African-American Episcopal Church in downtown L.A. on Sunday morning, you better believe the IRS is going to turn a blind eye and a deaf ear. Pastors, address your congregations about the need to vote. Encourage them to register to vote. Do not defile your pulpit by saying, vote for me because the other guy's a bad guy. Christians, we need to be engaged in the culture with one eye on eternity saying, look, God is going to put his thumb on the scale for the way he wants the election to go. Why? Because he wants it for our benefit. So keep that in mind as you pray and then consider how you'll vote and then actually go through with your vote this November 8th. That's the good news. And that's the bottom line.